So, call today's talk, Don't Push the River. You'd think you wouldn't have to tell anybody that. Don't push the river. It doesn't need your help to go in any direction. And sometimes we're trying to push it upstream. And you can't. Anybody who's ever been in a river knows you cannot push that river upstream. And going downstream, what, what good are you doing it? <laughs> it's not going any faster because you're pushing that water. It's, it's not unlike a bathtub. The water's just there. You doing this doesn't make it go anywhere. It just splashes it. And, and so, I, like I said, you'd think we wouldn't have to be reminded of this. But we do. Because we, we spin trying to do what we don't need to do. We, we keep trying to get God to be what God is. And it's like, we don't have to do that. We just have to accept our own God selves. We don't have to try to get God to be what God is any more than I have to try to get this chair to be a chair. That chair is a chair. Sometimes it's a footstool, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but I don't have to bend that chair to another shape to get it to be a footstool. I just have to put my feet up on it. Take your shoes off first, but put your feet up on it. And, and it's, I don't have to get this piano to be a piano. I don't have to push to make the piano a piano. If I want it to make music, I probably should take a lesson in piano playing, but it's still going to be a piano. So I don't have to figure out how do I make this piano a piano? How do I make this chair a chair? How do I make God, God? How do I make life, life? You know, once we realize, oh, I'm not going to make a thing that is, is, then I can work on myself to see it appropriately, to see it effectively. And that, that's the part that a lot of people, they don't want to do, because that's the hard work, is to how to most effectively use God. How to most effectively use the chair. How to most effectively use the piano. See, if I stand here contemplating that chair, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not sitting down. <laughs> I'm standing when there's a chair handy. I'm wondering, why do my feet hurt? Why do my legs hurt? Why does my back hurt? Oh. And, and I just stand there, looking at a chair, trying to make it a chair. Gee, I wish there was a chair here. Oh, that's a chair. I could sit on that. You know, and it's, it's, it takes us such a long time. And it's, like, and it's the same with prayer. Let's look at prayer now. To have the effective use of prayer. Uh, we, we come to unity. We hear this repeatedly. How do I know? Because I say it repeatedly about re effective prayer. Now, Teresa's saying it repeatedly, at least once a month and a couple classes in between. Effective use of prayer is about the willingness to experience the thing you want. It is not about the way in which you ask God for it. 
The more you ask God for it, the more you are saying, I don't have it. The more you are affirming, I don't have it. And whatever God says, fine, you don't have it. Because you see, if I'm holding in my thoughts, I don't have it. I don't have it. I wish I could get it. Oh, I wish I could figure out how to get it. Oh, I wish I could figure out. Oh, and, and, and you're standing around wondering why this misery? Why don't I have my good? They promised me at Unity my good was available to me. Yes, they did. And I'm one of the ones that promised it to everybody. And I promise it everywhere I go. I even promise it to myself. And so Sean promised it. But Sean also promised that if you become willing to experience it, it will happen. And some say, but I am. And I'll tell you, how much are you talking about the absence of it? Do you talk about the absence of good more than you talk about the presence of good? And uh, you have to look at that honestly and realize, oh, well, maybe I'm 50-50, maybe I'm 60, you know. And, and it's up. Uh, and then wonder, well, no wonder I don't have the good I perceive. It's, or my good I, is fuzzy. I have fuzzy demonstrations. Because, yes, I'm willing to have this, but I'm not willing to give up this to have it. And I'm not going to give up this to have it. And I'm not going to give up this to have it. I'm not willing to give up very much in order to have my good, am I? Myrtle Fillmore, Unity's co-founder, had to kind of give up her belief in sickness in order to get well. Charles Fillmore had to take on thoughts that God was a reality. Even though he didn't really believe it, he saw in his kitchen these people, including his wife, getting well. They were praying in a new way. They were praying affirmatively every night around the kitchen table. And he saw them getting well and thought, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it seems to be happening for them, but I don't know. It's a coincidence. Yeah, kind of. It's a coincidence. And then he thought, okay. And he went around and he talked to other spiritual leaders and teachers and what have you. And what he heard was a different thing from every single teacher. And I like the words he used. He said, in this cacophony <laughs> of noise, either I can communicate directly with the source or the whole thing's a fraud. So yay, now that's, the, that's a divine idea. Because he suddenly realized the power to do it was within him or it wasn't. But it wasn't about being within his wife. It wasn't about being in with the people around the kitchen table. The power to heal or communicate directly with the source had to be from within him. And so, he sat down in his rocking chair and he thought up some nice thing, you know, some positive thing. And he would sit and rock every night. And what he said in his book was that, well, nothing much happened, but he felt better. He felt calmer, felt more stable and everything. And, uh, but he didn't have any great healing at that point. He had a tubercular leg uh, from a childhood ice skating accident, and it was about six inches shorter than the other. But he would just rock every night. And a few months into it, he was closing up a real estate deal. And he suddenly saw, oh, he had dreamt the entire real estate deal from start to finish the night before. And that to him was his connection to the source. That there was some, there was more to this than the physical. There was more to this than the intellect. 
he was connected to something. And let's face it, if you're connected to something that is invisible, it has to be bigger than you are. It has to be fill up all the ethers, as it were. And so to really, oh, and that's when Charles Fillmore was convinced. See, we each, all of us, have to do it for ourselves until we find the whole path in for ourselves. It is a theory that happens to other people. And I'm over here just trying to push the river. I'm over here just trying to make God, God. Trying to make me, me. Trying to do something that is already done. And I'm still trying to make it done. So let's, let's all admit now, it is already done. Whatever God could give has already been given. Whatever God is, it's all, and, and as our source, we call, you know, we, remember, we made up God. Human beings made it up because we needed something. You know, humans knew there was something bigger than themselves. And they knew it was invisible but working through the physical. And it was just, the problem was, you can't define it. You can't put your finger on it. Because it gets bigger, it gets different. As, as you think you understand it, I know for years in my healing journey, every time I thought I knew what God was, God went and changed on me. Because I had changed. And suddenly, what I understood was now bigger than what I thought it was. And, and, like, and I didn't know I was trying to put my God in a box. Because that's what I grew up with, God in a box. And, and, and uh, it was my mother's box, my grandparents' box, whoever's box, my Sunday school teacher's box of understanding God. And, and it was never satisfying. Anybody? The God you grew up around, was it satisfying? Did it fulfill you? Or did it just give you, well, at least, I think I know what it is. At least if it's this, fine, then I know what it is. That's what happens in a lot of churches and what have you. It's, well, at least it's this. And, and the problem was if you go against it, then you're a sinner, you're this or that. And that, that's foolish. Because, again, it puts God in a box. I was at 2019, I was at a Vipassana retreat, and I stopped using the word God for a while because I realized, oh, I'm, trying to get, I'm back to trying to get something from this God. I, I want something from this God, and I, uh, and I couldn't because it, I either believe what I teach or I don't. And so it was foolish and foolhardy for me to keep trying to get something from this God. So I changed it over to love. I know God is love. I believe that. Years ago, I went for, what's another word for God? And I heard the voice say love. And so I'm never trying to get something from love. I'm merely looking to step inside of it. To just step inside of love and see what happens. To see how my thoughts change when I'm inside of love. And I, uh, I do that visually, even though I know the truth. I can never be outside of love. Let's all know that, too. You'll never, ever be outside of love because if love is all there is, there's no squeaking around the edges. It's just that love isn't always loving. 
Love doesn't always seem to love me, but it's me who refuses to be embraced by it. It's me who refuses to just be in it. And someone said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, how many times do I complain every day? How many complain? Do I spend more time complaining than I do praising? Do I spend more time fretting than I do praising? Do I spend more time in regret than I do in gratitude? That's a good sign that perhaps I need to shift. I was talking to some people the other day, and, uh, shoot, I can't remember how I phrased it, that, oh, it was about faith. Faith or, or, or fear. Somebody brought up a topic in a group I was sitting with. And, and the gentleman leading it, I know he was talking about faith meaning faith in God. But a lot of people bandy those words about not understanding what they mean. Faith is faith. Faith is what I believe in. It's not always about God. Uh, Olga Butterworth taught me once years ago when somebody said fear is the opposite of faith. And she said, oh, no, no, no. Fear is faith. It's faith in what you're afraid of. And a lot, most of my childhood and everything, a lot of my faith was based in what I'm afraid of. And then I found a healing path in my early 30s. And my faith began to lend itself over to uh, healing and wholeness and well-being and affirmative positive outcomes in life and that my past was not my dictator. And, and, and so I began to have a lot of healings and I began to experience a lot of peace and joy and I began to have fun again and I, I learned how to play again. And, and I, I began to learn some compassion. It's only more recently I've learned about empathy. And uh, takes what it takes. Glad I stuck around for the journey. And, uh, but then somewhere well into you know, 15, 20 years of, of the healing journey, my faith began to lend itself to fear again. I began to fear a lot of stuff. And uh, neuroses started popping up. And... And I thought, oh, oh, I've given over to the flesh again. I have not, and we're not going to call the flesh bad. Don't get, that's not what we're saying. Given over to the ego, the, the, the flesh, meaning I'm starting to believe that the flesh is more real than the spirit. Starting to believe the piano is more real than the divine idea that created the piano or the chair. And, and so I was walking around in fear all the time. I thought, what happened? What happened? I barely paid attention because I, I willingly, unconsciously, but willingly gave my power, divine power, over to what I was afraid of. And so that became my faith. Again, I'm still up here every Sunday talking about faith in God, faith in love, faith in everything. But no, but while I go out in the street, I'm afraid a rat's going to run across the street. Going across a bridge, I'm afraid I'm suddenly going to be lifted up and thrown over the bridge. You know, things like that. And, and, and so and I said to somebody, stick around for the healing. This is, this is what many years of healing looks like. There's <laughs> new neuroses, new stuff, new challenges, new opportunities. And at the same time, I'm willing to admit I am loved. I am loved with an everlasting love. And what I want to do for myself is to offer myself more opportunities to know that I am loved rather than opportunities to believe in appearances.
that says I'm not. And uh, I wish more of us would do that. I, I'd like others to join me on this journey, but I can't count on others joining me on this journey. So I have to count on myself. To, it doesn't mean I'm going to do it by myself. That's not what it means. It means I still have to rely on my own influences and what I know to be true in order to walk the journey and invite others to join me on the, on the path. Because why would anybody want to join me on a path of misery? Why do, do people, would people want to join me on a path of fear, of hatred, of what have you? I, I, uh, I, think, I think of Jesus at this time, when Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, worship me. He said, follow me. I don't even know that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think the writers wrote that, quite frankly. But I do believe <coughs> he said, I found a way in. I found a way into peace. I found a way into joy. I found a way into what we call heaven. And it's not about dying to get there. It's about living well to get there. It's about changing our minds. It's about forgiving everybody. And there we go. Now we're back to the God the box. I can't forgive everybody. You don't understand. I've got a couple of justified resentments. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> Poor soul in the front. <laughs> identified the front. I, uh, <laughs> I, I got a couple of people I'm holding out on. It's like, and I'm one of them. As long as I'm holding out on you, I'm holding out on me. Don't I get to go into the kingdom with a, just, you know, God, come on. They're awful people. I should, I have to worry about that. They've been behaving terribly. I was like, no, Sean. Sean, let them go. Let that behavior go and uh, behold the Christ being before you. And so that's what I have to do rather than try to push the river to make the river different rather than trying to make God see what I'm actually trying to do rather than make God God is make God not be God and I'm trying to make me not be me and as long as I hold anyone that I have a resentment towards as a an object of resentment I'm trying to make them not them in their ultimate being oh it's a bear this living spiritually and it's uh, and for those of us here today, and you guys in TV land, we are uh, we're saying, okay, I want to give it a shot here. And, and, and if it's one forgiveness at a time, <clears throat> and what is the forgiveness? Giving way for a new way to think about it. Something I marvel at is there are some individuals I can release from my consciousness any offense even though I used to hold a grudge. Now, oh no, I love them. What are you talking about? It's fine. It doesn't matter that they did that. So why am I holding out on these other ones? I don't know. I don't know. I pray on it all the time. All the time. And it's not, oh God, why am I holding out on these other ones? It's, oh God. I know it is possible to have a new thought about this situation and these beings. And I'm willing to be shown. Somebody the other day said, uh, they, they pray, God, direct my thoughts. 
direct my thoughts to peace, to joy, to love. And when I say that, I'm not thinking of an old man who's going to shift my thoughts. I know better than that now. But if I say, God, do this, what it says is, I am willing. I'm willing to be shown. And that invisible presence within me can show me how to think differently, how to see differently, how to behave differently. And I can live with a sense of bereftness, if that's a word. I get with the feeling of being bereft because I have lost an old friend and that old friend is called resentment. I found some sort of solace, I won't say peace, I found solace in resentment. I found solace in my judgments. I found solace because it gave me a false sense of security. It also gave me a fear of bridges. Uh, going up high over a bridge. It also gave me a need to eat way more than what is necessary for me to eat, to experience joy in whatever I eat. It, it gave me all sorts of things that are untrue. And it gave me a belief that a piano was not a piano. And that a chair is not a chair. And that friends aren't friends. And that my body is a victim of the world it sees. It gave me all that. So is that worth it? Are our resentments worth our unforgiveness? Is it worth that? Is it worth it? All that it... It doesn't mean to steal from us. It's just that's the only thing it knows how to do. It's kind of like addiction. Addiction doesn't mean to hurt us. It's just the only thing it can do. So hatred just does what hatred does, and it robs us of peace and joy and light. And the belief in sickness as a reality robs us. Now, I know many of us experience sickness. That's not, I'm not here to judge that. It's the belief in it that robs us of our peace and our joy and our knowing of the truth. And at last I was told it is the knowing of the truth that sets us free. And so, in the pushing of the river, meaning trying to make the river something it isn't, taking the, trying to take the naturalness, natural flow, out of the river, it's, uh, it is folly. I'm going to read this real quickly here. Um, I, I looked at the metaphysical meaning of river, and it says, The source of the natural healing impulse that constantly reconstructs the organism. When a man in faith, or a woman in faith, a person in faith, makes intimate connection between his mind and God's, he enters into the river of life. And he has the ability to take others with him into the waters that cleanse, purify, and vitalize. Another metaphysical definition is a current of thought, or a current of vital forces of life. The river of Genesis 2.10 symbolizes the current of life in the organism. So, unforgiveness interrupts the current of life. And someone said, but I've forgiven everybody. And I'll say, liar. <laughs> I'm quoting Edwin Gaines here. Some of you remember this statement. When she says, how do you know if you have anyone left to forgive? And the question is, do you still have a body? 
you know, there's there's itchiness mm -hmm. in us, and it, we could just go down the street and find new people <clears throat> that, that are offending our sensibilities that aren't doing it our way. I can go to my house and make a snap judgment based on an appearance that isn't true. It isn't true in spirit, and so when uh, Kenneth said, "Let the river flow." Let the river flow. Do not interrupt the current of God thought. There's some pretty powerfully spiritual people in this room right now who are still struggling. Some of us are still struggling in a big way to say yes, to fully say yes to the power we know lives within us. I'm willing to bet there's some people there in the Facebook land who are so powerful and yet they are still struggling to say yes to the power within you. To say yes to it because we're so afraid. Who will I be without the, the lie? Who will I be without my belief in the falseness of reality? Who will I be? Well, find out. I, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands here. I know there are people who have uh, put down substances, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it cigarettes, be it food, be it what have you. We know the discomfort and the fear, even the fear of thinking of such a thing. Who will I be? What will I be? When I was going to quit cigarettes, my gosh, I thought, I'll never be able to talk on the phone again. I will never be able to drive again. I won't be able to have a conversation again. And this is back before there was a sign everywhere that said, don't smoke. I could still, uh, the world could still smoke when I put them down. And I, uh, I thought, what am I going to do? I remember coming out of an office building one day off the elevator and I saw a sign in the lobby that said, thank you for not smoking. And I was so glad I had already stopped. Because one of my least favorite words in the world is no. <laughs> I don't care for that word when I want to do what I want to do. But to begin to align ourselves to our prayer life, to a constant prayer life, through powerful meditation, but simple meditation, but powerful, to uh, decide, do I want to be aware of the God being that I am? and be in the flow or the current of the river that is my life. Is that what I want? And if it is, well, then I'm going to have to invest the time, the energy. And it doesn't mean I have to give up my whole life. It means a few moments at a time to say, okay, let me ground myself right here, right now. Let me find the prayers that work for me for surrender in order to experience peace, in order to experience health, in order to experience harmony, in order to experience prosperity, in order to experience all the good that life has to offer without any of the selfishness I have used to rob myself or others of all of the things I just listed. Be in the flow, the current. Let the river run.
and see how it works. Thank you very much.